from the Rose City in beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon, home of bikes, books, bridges, beards, food carts, startups, and indie coffee. Grab your dog, snatch your hammer and beer, leave your umbrella at home. Welcome to the Tiny House Podcast. It's the Tiny House Podcast. I am Perry. Good morning, this is Michelle. And this is Mark. <laughs> Cock-a-doodle-doo. Cock-a-doodle-doo, babies. <laughs> <clears throat> so, uh, what's going on, Pod ha- podcast co-hosts? Pod hats. <laughs> I got a lot of shit going on. You do? I got a lot of shit going on. I'm moving. Uh, I got a new job. I'm building a tiny house. Hang on a um, second. Let's back up. So Michelle got this new job, and she's very excited about it. Yeah. She ought to be, because it's way better than the job she currently has. Super, super. And it's going to benefit her in so many freaking ways. Yep. The biggest being a big old bump in income. Right. And a, much, and a corresponding tiny bump in commute time. A Huge big bump. bump in time. You know, right now I spend between two and a half hours to three hours a day on the road right now commuting, um, which is a big chunk of time. That's a big investment. And... Um, and gas money and everything else. And uh, my new job is like, you know, seven minutes away or something like that. So that's, that's cool. cool. And unlike many tiny housers, you are downsizing your expenses while your income is going the other way. Yes. it's That's the kind of exciting part, too. So my kids are officially, officially, officially moved out of mom's house as of January 1st. I have, I'm affectionately calling January the month of me. <laughs> My boyfriend cynically said, how is that different? I was going to say, I thought every, every month was. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Wait a minute, um, am I your boyfriend? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So he, uh, yeah, so it's 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 kind of uncomfortable though too, right? Because I have not lived alone since I was 21 years old, 20 years old, which was a long time ago. So living alone, um, the kids that I've been caring for for 21 years are going to be on their own. So super exciting, but really I will fully admit that it's kind of really emotional and uncomfortable too. So, Who's more nervous about the kids moving up, them or you? I think at this point it's me. Okay. We, we the talked mom instinct. Yeah, I think so. My son was like, so how exactly, how often exactly are you expecting me to call you? <laughs> now I thought he would be the one that'd be freaked out because he's the youngest and has had the least opportunity to sort of emotionally evolved to the point where he could embrace it. But yeah, he's all about that. He's yeah. like, you know, I'm not going to call you like every day. <laughs> Thank you. In three months, I'll be back in tears. Exactly. <laughs> good for laundry and a good hot meal. <laughs> yeah, I love you too, honey. But um, yeah, so a lot going on. Um, but all tiny house related. This was the goal. This is the direction I was headed when I first built it. Um, it's just really shocking to like, oh, crap. Now actually it's be there. Yeah, now it's happening. That's Very cool. cool. Super All exciting. going in your favor. And uh, for our listeners, I finally figured out, I've ident- clearly identified I do not have a shoe problem. I have a boot problem. We knew that. Oh, we saw your case, man. Yeah. Yeah. I have a boot problem. So I just want to say the downsizing process continues and will continue to continue. Mm-hmm. I am going to have a seasonal storage unit where I'm going to put seasonal clothing and shoes Um Bikes, tools, um, kayaks, those kinds of things. I'm not willing to sacrifice my standard of living quite yet. I have two kayaks. You do? Yes, I'm a kayaker. Sorry, I just don't see that. Didn't see that. Really? (laughs) Really? Yeah, yeah. I have two kayakers. I have, you know, bicycles. I have a a teardrop as well. The little teardrop that I pull behind my convertible, which is, I put my kayak on my teardrop and I head out with my convertible and. Wow. 
Me I would have wind. never imagined Michelle in a kayak. That was not, no. no. But she's got the glamping thing going, so it fits. Well, Is it, it a clamped up kayak? No, no. <laughs> bedazzled to shit and going? No, the only thing that's bedazzled, bedazzled a little bit is um, the kayak jacket. You know, I mean, it's kind of a... Oh, there you oh, go. There you okay. go. Yeah. Embellished kind bling. of... Yeah, yeah. Some Rapids. boots stored inside. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, a lot going on. Thank you for asking. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you for asking. Yeah, Pretty yeah. excited. So, um, let's just jump into the show. Because mm. we have a guy, <laughs> who's, who's our guest today, Dominique... Uh, Oh, Dominic Mangano. Mangano. I, Mangano. I wanted to say that name with some paisano to it, but I didn't get it out in time. So, Dominique, welcome to the show. Thank you. Dominique is the owner. Dominic. Dominic, not Dominique. Dominique is the female version. Is that right? Correct. Let's spell it entirely differently. Uh, what did you say, Dominic? Could be French. Could be French. Uh, yes, yep. could be French. Um, Dominic is the owner of Jamaican co- Jamaica Cottage Shop, Incorporated, founded in 1995. He, um, in Jamaica, Vermont. In Jamaica, Vermont. Which I'll makes get that. <laughs> <laughs> which Hello? Hello? Are you open? <laughs> which makes more sense because when I heard, Dominic, that your name was Dominic and you owned a company called Jamaica Cottage Shop, I was figuring you'd be dark-skinned and have dreadlocks. And be from yeah. Jamaica, man. Smoking a doob. Exactly. Well, not, none of that's uh, quite accurate, but I am sitting here while we're talking, uh, looking over my marijuana stocks that are doing well. <laughs> good, Kudos for being out and good, out and open about good that. Good for you. I actually, on that subject, I posted a picture of a Christmas tree, which was this beautifully trimmed marijuana plant. Um, wow. I, I posted it on Facebook this week and said, oh, I love my Christmas tree. The guy said if I take really good care of it, that he's going to come back and get it in February. So Get it and turn it into product? Uh, no, I was just making a joke on oh. Facebook about, oh, um, about the new acceptability, legality ah, yes. um, of cannabis. Is cannabis legal in Vermont? I would think so. Not yet, but no. they did just pass it in Massachusetts there last week. Okay. Oh, there you go. So, in addition to um, cultivating herbals, um, you also build. Uh, well, it's it's interesting because you're one of the probably many builders in the tiny house movement who have who is apparently or Presumably. has apparently no apparently based on his website gone from building sheds and other small uh, structures to building tiny houses. That's very true. It's uh, been a little bit of a necessity, but also from listening to the folks who come and see us. They walk into the buildings and the first thing they say, other than, oh, I love the smell of wood, Mm. they say, oh, I could live in this. It was a very simple transition to move the building from a cold storage building, something where you close the door and walk away from and to closing the door and spending time inside the space, uh, turning it into essentially a living space. Well said. So, so your, your getting into the tiny house movement was a result of your existing customers t- telling you how they could actually live in the things you were already building. Yes, but if we go back a little bit further, we take a look at when I was growing up, I would uh, run out into the, the fields around my house uh, and build little forts. They were forts back then, whether they were in the trees or in the stone walls, or even in the hay fields, building a little maze. So it was just very natural for me to to build structures as I got older and a little bit better with the tools. Uh, I did it 
for myself and getting myself uh, a space uh, where I could be under a roof and forego rent. So, but back then there was no tiny house movement. When was back then? Let's see. That was late nineties. And how how old are you? I'm 47. I was born in 69. Okay. And so when you, your website says that you, um, you traveled the United States working as a carpenter. So it sounds like building has always been in your blood. That's true. Uh, they were building houses around where I grew up and I was able to get a job working with the carpenters. I just thought it was the, the best feeling in the world to get up on top of the, the rafters and and build that highest peak and be able to stand up there and, and feel that nobody else could come in and do their job. The plumbers, the electricians or, or such can come in and do their thing until I've finished what I've done and that's build the frame. So that's really what I've been after. Uh, growing up, I've learned that it's one of the most uh, required uh, pieces of survival for a human is that shelter, food, water, such yeah. would be one of the main things. So I thought shelter, if I was good at that, then I would always find something to, to do. I would always be able to at least shelter myself, if not be able to find work as well. Smart man. We've talked about that before on the show. We've talked about that feeling of satisfaction of taking the picture in your head and creating a 3D reality in front of you and, and how how that appears to be a bit of a lost art, um, you know, with technology and everything. Um, the trades are, are, are sort of going away as well. So um, it, it's, it's inspiring to hear that you sort of found your inspiration or your niche pretty early, it sounds like, right? Well, I like to call that four-year excursion across the country my, my uh, expanded college education. <laughs> <laughs> How so? Uh, that was my grad school. So after college, my college education was business management. I went to Green Mountain College here in Vermont. And after which I did travel the country for four years, I considered that my grad school. What I did was learn every different type of structure across the nation. Uh, when I say that, uh, I was working on framing crews. So when I was here in the East Coast, we build one way and then we go out West and we build for, say, earthquakes there, uh, or we build for fire protection in California, something like that. Uh, I built in Phoenix, uh, and, and down there we, we built on slabs uh, rather than a full foundation. So I learned all the different types of not only the ways to build and the different coding, but I also uh, learned the different terminology, uh, building terminology changes no matter where you are in the country. That's a fantastic background. So, so why did you why did you decide when you came back from that um, master's education? Why did you decide to work on cabins and small structures instead of building homes for people? I didn't want to be a contractor. Uh, I, I wanted to be able to work more in a, in an area where I could stay fluid in the direction I wanted to flow in. So I named the business Jamaica Cottage first because the name of the town, Jamaica, Vermont, that's where the, the company received the name. But the cottage shop wasn't initially set for building cottages. It was set as a cottage industry. I wanted to work from home and be able to uh, participate in a lot of different activities to be able to produce income. So the cottage industry 
uh, was more of a, a home-based solution for me. So naming the company that and naming it Jamaica, which was named after the town, Jamaica, Vermont, uh, then that's how that transitioned. And it just so happened that it worked out very well because what took off and, and did the best for us was building cottages, whether they're used for cold storage sheds or, or other purposes. The, we do call them cottages, so it worked out very well. What's a cottage? And that's a good question. I've received that in the past. What's the difference between a cottage and a cabin? Yeah. How about a how about a camp or a chalet? I think it's just <laughs> in the perception. <laughs> I think it's <laughs> more of a perception of uh, the person's uh, idyllic image when when they hear those the, the words. So it's basically the same thing. It's just a different nomenclature for it. Correct. So what is unique about your structures? Um, so you, you started Jamaica call it Cottage Shop. It, it, it sounds like it morphed into a, a literal cottage building experience, which is now morphed into, into tiny houses. What is, what's unique about your design or your perspective, your take on tiny houses? As far as the tiny houses goes, there is a couple of things that I've learned that are absolutely critical. Once you get past the lifestyle change and, and you understand the basics of what it's going to be, what it comes down to is the affordability factor and the realistic choice of moving in after you get past all of the trendiness of it. The, the other fact that I've learned is what, what's really going to make it realistic for you. Uh, so I've seen a lot of folks now that the movement's been moving progressing on, I've seen a lot of folks put their houses up for sale and, and move on. Mm -hmm. um, I, I lived in my tiny house for three years. Uh, I had, I built that and it was perfect. It was great. There was uh, no uh, mortgage, no rent, and uh, it worked out quite nicely. I actually ran the company from it. So you said people selling their houses and moving on. What it, to clarify for our listeners, what you're talking about is is sort of the shock factor of moving into a tiny house, realizing it's not for them, selling their tiny houses and actually sort of moving on beyond. Is that what you're talking about? That is right, Michelle. Uh, absolutely. Uh, I've seen a lot of folks that go ahead and and do the style, the lifestyle, and and they feel that maybe this wasn't the right choice. Wow, interesting. We actually had um, uh, a guest a couple interviews ago who was saying the other reason why people were selling them is because they realized they couldn't find a place to put them legally. That's very true, and I hear that quite frequently. Uh, so where do I put it? That's one of the questions that we receive here at the shop. Uh, we have a whole set of questions that we use. Uh, we call them extraction questions. What we're trying to do is extract the information that we need to help you the best. Uh, a lot of folks, believe it or not, do not understand where fresh water comes from. <laughs> Safeway. <laughs> exactly. Safe Perry, way. do you know where fresh water comes from? Uh, my saliva grounds. <laughs> <laughs> North Dakota, and, apparently. <laughs> uh, and, then, and then moving on, uh, they also don't understand where wastewater goes. You, you say, where does the wastewater go? go they say well i flush the toilet uh, it goes down the drain no shit 
So how long is this extraction questions? Is that what you called it? The extraction questions. Yes. How long is the list? The list is maybe, depending if it's going to be just a shed or if it's going to be a living situation, there's more questions, but roughly seven, eight questions. Oh, that's not bad. I'm thinking 25 written exam, return it to us within 48 hours, (laughs) signed and dated kind of thing. No tenure house for you. <laughs> so, Dominic, the 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 um, the kind of tiny house. Do you build tiny houses on trailers? We do. Uh, when you look at the website, most of them are built on wood platforms yeah. that can be transformed very mobile, portable buildings. Uh, that's how we got started. But it's very easy to transition that and put that onto a trailer. So, a thaw is uh, you'll see a few examples on our on our website that we've done. So the tiny house on wheels is a very easy transition. We keep a bunch of frames in stock ready to go. And there goes one now. Yeah, you're on the back of a moving one. He's on the website, (laughs) on his job site right now. There's uh, yeah, I'm right behind production. They're out there building right now. So how big is your, I I know, I think your website said you had a 70,000 square foot facility or something like that. What, how many people work, how many people work with you? uh, We peaked at 25 this year. And we were producing three to five buildings a day. Wow. Uh, we, go, we were going through, uh, I like to tell people, about 6,000 board feet of lumber a day, which is will be over a million feet for the season. And uh, that's about a truckload and a half of lumber uh, each week. Wow. Do you guys, do you, you guys, uh, you don't mill your own lumber. You get it processed from somebody like Home Depot or something? Not Home Depot. But well, you- I... Yeah, yep. Uh, that's a great question. I receive it quite frequently. Well, what is it made of? Uh, do you produce your own lumber? The the lumber here is all from the U.S. I use Eastern Hemlock for the framing. That's a green lumber, meaning that has not been dried. Everything is true dimensional, rough sawn, so oh, it has wow. a nice fuzzy, fuzzy that's, feel to it. That's very cool. When I bought this uh, property here, it is an old sawmill. The sawmill oh, okay. was out back. Uh, it was more affordable to close and sell off that equipment and simply work with the lumber brokers. I can buy lumber uh, for about the same price that the sawmill has to pay for the log. Uh, wow. That's right. and your costing my- And your costing changes with the commodity pricing as well, So, um, as opposed to being locked into a retail contract mm-hmm. or, again, sourcing logs. That's very true. Uh, it's easier to work with the lumber brokers and the larger mills. They grade the lumber, and they can oftentimes uh, be able to sell the entire log. They grind off the bark, turn that into mulch. They sell the sawdust. They sell the wood chips. Where here, I would only be after the lumber itself. I see. So do you sell kits as well, or are these are only completed structures? That's another very good question, Michelle. The, Thank you. Uh, when I first started uh, the company 20 years ago, uh, we did strictly fully assembled FAs. 10 years ago, I bought the big industrial place we're in now, and I started getting more serious on the kits. Uh, we call the kits pre-cut kits, the PCKs. The PCKs I was selling about 2% of the sales. That was 10 years ago. Today, we sell... 80% of the gross income comes from our PCKs. Wow. So we're now predominantly in our kits. Now those kits are logistically able to be able to transport throughout the nation. We sell quite a bit to Canada and through the US. Uh, the designs are all ours, are mine. And the designs that I've come up with 
we go ahead and get those into a situation where we can get the cut list. The cut list is what we're after. Right. We've got to produce the plans. The plans that we uh, offer, we can download those from the website. Those are the DIY plans. So those plans there, once we have those, then we can offer the designs in one of three ways, fully assembled, pre-cut kit, or the DIY plans. Yeah. What, what is your What is the cost of a, generally speaking, of a tiny house out of your factory? That's also a very good question. The cost is something that people want to know constantly. Uh, you should figure that if it's going to be a very basic minimum shell, between ten and fifteen thousand as a base. Now, what you're going to get is just a weather-tight shell that is keeps the elements out not going to have much of the mechanicals, the electrical, the plumbing. Once we start adding that, you're looking at a base price turnkey with the insulation and as far as uh, whether it's on wheels or not, about thirty-five dollars to $50,000. Does that include like cabinetry and all that? It does. Oftentimes we'll use live edge countertops, uh, build our own cabinets uh, for the custom uh, unique spaces. Uh, but yes, that, it does include that. Wow. So I'd like to steer away from the Q&A just for a minute, a lot of this information. Um, by the way, what is your website real quick? JamaicaCottageShop.com And I want to talk about your aha moment or your sort of worst moment, shall we say. Every, every business, every life story has kind of a cyclical nature to it. And there's this, hey, I have this great idea. And then there's that aha moment or that down moment where you're like, what the hell was I thinking? Mm -hmm. Can you tell us the story about that moment, um, where that happened in your life or your business um, evolution? Mm, it's still progressing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's definitely been a lot of low points. Uh, the biggest challenge in the business is cash flow. So we're trying to do a seasonal business is very difficult to keep full-time employees, be able to keep a high inventory. Uh, one of the challenges that we face is that I often equate it to a car dealership. Would you buy a brand new car from a car dealership that didn't have any cars on the lot. <laughs> well, they do that at Tesla. Yeah. <laughs> they have to be pretty special. Yeah, they do, they have to be pretty special. So you lived in a tiny house. What what impact did that have on your either design sense or, or your dis, um, perspective on tiny houses in general? I learned to, to, to be realistic in the design. When I'm designing something for myself, I tend to get a little bit crazy because <laughs> I do have the skill, but then I realized that I didn't have the space. Uh, so it's, when you're trying to put that dormer in or if you're trying to make sure that you have enough room for a loft or get enough room for that bed to fit, it can be quite a challenge and I learned how to do that. Uh, my little tiny house was 100 square feet. Ooh, so. Wow. Not much bigger than uh, maybe a bathroom. It was we call 10 those by 10. Teenies. Teenies. <laughs> the, uh, the, the tiny house that I had built for myself was 10 by 10. Uh, so it was portable, but what I did was built it cantilevered out over the river. It was set among the trees, and you could hear the rocks flowing when the river was high. And uh, that included the porch. It was a uh, very. <laughs> 
<laughs> that was like, wow. wow. I kind of have one of those, though. Remember, I have that lakefront property, and oh, we yeah. have a boathouse that we actually converted into a cabin. So the whole, from the outside, it looks like a boathouse, but when you actually walk inside, the floor is actually r- about 12, or, yeah, about 8 to 12 inches actually above oh. the water, mm. and so some you can hear it when it hits the shore. Huh. It's kind of a cool ambiance. It's very cool. Dominic, um, sorry, go ahead. So given your three years' experience living in a 100-square-foot yeah. place, which is smaller than most tiny houses, yeah. What's your kind of best, most unique advice you tell people coming to build a tiny house with you? Kind of uncommon advice. Well, you, you have to understand what's going to power the, the building. Mm. If, if, if you want it to run mm. on a wood stove, that's great. But if you also want a job away from your tiny house, nine to five, <laughs> you're going to come home to a cold and your food's going to be frozen. And... <laughs> And there's a little bit of a challenge there if you don't have a thermostatic controlled heat, whether it's AC in the southwest or heat up here in the northeast. So if it's going to have a thermostatic controlled, now what is that going to run on? Is that going to be air, uh, electricity or would that be gas? You only have a few different choices on what that's going to run on. Now a lot of folks and maybe some of the listeners are saying, well, I'm going to use solar. Well, that's great, but the cost of a reliable solar package can be as much as the house. Yeah, I, that's when I when I made that decision for myself. I looked at the solar array, and it was going to be in the neighborhood of four thousand to four thousand five hundred dollars for all the panels and all the batteries. And and I looked at my uh, monthly what I was anticipating my monthly electric bill was or is um, runs about twelve dollars. So my return on investment <laughs> it didn't make sense for me to to spend $4,500 to save 12 bucks a month. So I can imagine you sort of help your, help your customers and therefore our listeners kind of walk through that return on those ROI numbers, right? Absolutely. And that's definitely one of the things that it takes some time. You have to work with them, but they just don't see it when you tell them you have to let the light bulb go off on their own head. It's interesting that you answered Mark's question with a practical mechanical answer instead of something more philosophical or emotional like you know um you're gonna have to really look differently at how you live your life getting rid of a lot of your stuff you got to get rid of a lot of your stuff you've got to think about you know the challenges of being in such a small space because it's not like living in a large space there's some emotional and psychological challenges that come with that kind of stuff do very, you do you, do you think that people do you think that that's a given and so you're helping them uh, one of the challenges of a tiny house builders is to help them through the practical unknown uh, aspects of downsizing they already know they got to sell all their shit right so is that the role that you play as well just kind of more of the practical side this this com- he I agree with you Perry the whole conversation is very practical and very yeah, technical it is and very I think it's I think it's because as the builder, he's not philosophical. He's like, get to the bottom line. What do you want? What do you need? How long are you going to live in it? Kind of questions. How much money can I make from it? Yes. <laughs> well, he is running and, a business. And and he's yeah. got people to pay. Totally. Yeah. There's uh, the one question that you're not hitting on just yet is how often do you plan on moving your house? Yeah. That's a big, big factor for us. Uh, if we're going to follow RV codes or are we going to follow more traditional home codes, uh, how often do you plan on moving this house? Do you want to stick it in your parents' backyard and then 
maybe a few months from now, travel out west or maybe move around the country as uh, work comes up? Or are you looking just for a simple solution where uh, this will be my home and maybe when I save enough money, buy a piece of land, I'm going to move it there, turn this tiny house into a guest house of sort, maybe sell it to get the down payment and, and build a more traditional home? How often do people answer that question as I answered it? I don't know. <laughs> very often I do receive that. I'm very surprised when somebody is uh, far enough along in their research to be able to give me a straight answer. Uh, the Where is that fresh water going to come from? Where is the wastewater going to go? How often do you plan on moving your house? These are very difficult questions to answer. <laughs> so what did you do when you were living in your 100-square-foot tiny house on that piece of property? And whose property was it that allowed you to live rent-free? Oh, uh, when I came back from Vermont after traveling, I had two dogs. They were living in the car with me. I was living out of my car for those four years, so that was a very small Subaru wow. space. So when I got back here... I came into town because there was a lot of folks from college living in the area, so I knew some folks. Uh, it was getting cold. This was the coming into the winter of 95, 96, and everybody I talked to on the phone once they heard I had two dogs would hang up the phone. Yeah. It happened twice to me. So I found this old farmhouse. It was on three acres. It's just two miles from the shop right now, and when I told the landlord i had two dogs he said this is vermont you should have dogs <laughs> <laughs> i said i'll take it so I, I stayed on there I, I paid them rent every month on time for 10 years and so i was uh the river was out back so all i did was move out of the farmhouse which uh, at that point was uh the face of the business and I moved the, my little cottage all the way into the back where my tiny home was. So I was able to use the main house for the plumbing. Oh, you nice. built a, a literal doghouse and lived in it. Exactly. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> what did you, so this is very interesting. The, um, you lived in your Subaru for four years with two dogs. What kind of dogs do you have? Oh, uh, they're they're gone now. But oh. I had two female uh, dogs that were forty five pounds each, oh. uh, black lab mix and a Dalmatian. Wow! And you lived in your car, so you slept in there. Bed warmers. Yeah, yeah occasionally I you know I'd, I'd be able to. Uh, when I was in Alaska, I, I slept on the beach for that summer. Uh, when I was in Phoenix, uh, one of the winters, I did have an apartment. Uh, but it was much better living in the national forest. My second winter in Phoenix. What did you, you so there's <clears throat> there's a there's an underlying uh, common thread to all of your the stories that you have behind the mechanical conversation we're having about how you build a tiny house, and that's this rugged individualist minimalist. Things could get worse. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love to live among nature yeah. kind of situation going on with you. Do you agree with that? I couldn't have said it better myself. Where does that come from? I guess that's my soul independence uh, striking through. So it's just something that uh, is just built into me inherently. What What are your parents? What are your parents like? I am the fourth generation off the boat. We came off uh, and were sent to Lawrence, Massachusetts. Uh, they said, "Oh, you're a stonemason. You go up there." 
My father and uh, worked for the company business, which was plumbing and heating. And my mom works in insurance. They still live together uh, in Massachusetts. And what do they think about what you do? At first, they were very concerned, especially when I was traveling the country. Uh, but now that they see what's going on, they come up here and they can't keep track of any uh, much of what I do. So they're very proud and, and uh, the, it, it's a good situation now. Are you interested in having a family at all or are you like hell bent on being your own man and being this? I, I have been with the same. I have been with the same lady for five years. Sarah now lives with uh, me in Jamaica. I live uh, in Jamaica, Vermont, and uh, we're very happy. We have a 200-year-old farmhouse. Wow. How big is the farmhouse? Oh, I counted the square footage. Of course, i got to have my little buildings on the property. I have seven on there. (laughs) (laughs) There's uh, 5,300 square feet, and half of it is heated. There's one cottage on there that we rent on Airbnb. You'll find at Apple Blossom Cottage. Wow, very cool. And what is your, what do you call her? Sarah, what was her name? Sarah Antel. Sarah Antel. What, what does she do? Sarah uh, is a teacher. She has her master's and she's progressed right along. And I said, honey, maybe we should do this. Maybe I was silently guiding her. She now works from home. She's a homeschool advisor. She guides the uh, the the parents on how to homeschool their children from home. That's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. Yeah, she she works from home. She she's been very proud to say lately that she's put twelve thousand miles on her car in two years. Wow! <laughs> wow! Very cool. Online education actually is also another thing that uh, tiny house families have in common. There are right. a lot. There are yeah. a few that we have interviewed. I see a few on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, Homeschooling. I one thing that the obviously the technology and internet has brought to us is that flexibility mm-hmm. in education and the flexibility of work. A mm-hmm. lot of tiny house occupants work from home. A lot of tiny house families homeschool. Um, so yeah, I agree with your assessment. He's like all in. Yeah, well, it's, it's really interesting, that, Dominic. Your this aspect of you that is like. Uh, Paul Bunyan is the is the guy that comes to my mind like you you live out you have lived outdoors you enjoy that lifestyle you build shit from nothing you probably eat bark for breakfast even though (laughs) 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 like you'll givens I mean you've got two dogs or had two dogs Um, it's just a really cool kind of lifestyle that you've built all by yourself it seems like anybody wants to experience it there's very few people in Vermont we got lots of space yeah I this this interview is actually in part because I just got back from Tiny House Summer Camp in Vermont. Um, boy, I love it there. I really, really like it's it beautiful. there. Yeah, it really is. So can you talk a little bit about the Tiny House community uh, in Vermont or on the East Coast and, and compare that to the West Coast? Or have you, have you spent much time um, comparing the differences and the, the legal challenges and the zoning challenges and the design challenges of tiny houses from coast to coast? You know, one of the main reasons why I enjoy living in Jamaica, Vermont, is because there is no zoning. Seriously? Yeah. yeah remember we talked? Oh, remember? that's right. I told you there's no building codes there. Like They're like, yeah, whatever. How'd they get around that? We just haven't instituted it yet. And since I know everybody in town, if there's any talk of it, I'll become the selectman and we can straighten that out. <laughs> <laughs> 
Is that how they do things in Vermont? Let's straighten that out. <laughs> uh, what is it? I'll bring my axe. How exactly. many generations are they away from founding fathers? I mean, the you know, really, I th- I think that again, the founding fathers, the original constitutional intent of the country, I think, is more. Um, I'm going to go out on a limb. More alive and well on the East Coast than West Coast. I think they they tend to live a simpler existence and tend to not be quite so uh, regulated. It's definitely true in the Midwest. There's uh, quite a bit of tiny house enthusiasts and activity going on here in the Northeast. Uh, my buddy Deke Degerson, I'm sorry, sure you're aware of him, oh, yeah. uh, does some tiny house uh, workshops. Uh, his YouTube channel is, is pretty extensive. Uh, so I've met uh, quite a bit through him. Uh, the school here in Vermont, it's in Warren, I believe, uh, called Yestermorrow. They do a oh, lot yeah. of different... Yes, tomorrow does quite a bit of uh, classes there and teaching folks on how to build their their own tiny house. We refer, refer quite a few people up to them. Um, shout out real quick for Deke Diedrichsen and myself. Incidentally, we're doing a workshop in Los Angeles in the first weekend of February. So, holy moly! Yes. Details at relaxshacks.com. It never ends with Michelle Boyle. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would encourage going if you've never been before. They are very entertaining, and yeah. Deke does like to go out afterward, and you can hang out with him if he's in a good mood. <laughs> yeah. It, it, again, Tiny House Summer Camp was really fun. It was really hands-on. It was really authentic experience. Um, and uh, we became friends, and he invited me to go uh, help him and do this workshop with him. So, so it was pretty cool. It was a pretty great invitation, and and um, I agree, he's a great guy and has a lot of good information. So, um, what do you what do you see? Can I steal your question? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. You, you knew what it was going to be. Wow, you're in Perry's head. <laughs> so, where do you think tiny houses are going from here? When I first started building uh, sheds, uh, chicken coops were the thing. And I was trying to, to peak the fad. Was it, was it still climbing? Was the enthusiasm still there? Or was it de- on the decline? Should I be building chicken coops? So with that experience, although chicken coops are still popular now, they are not as much as they have been, at least here in this area. So I'm trying to equate that to tiny houses. Uh, Is this going to be around here in, say, 30 years? Are tiny houses going to still be popular? And? I I don't have the answer for that. (laughs) A lot of people are saying it is going to be around for a long time. Well, we hope so. For the investment that we're putting into the IRC um, efforts, um, I mean, definitely there are those of us that are optimistic that it's going to be. We wouldn't be investing the time or the money that we're investing if we didn't think it was going to be around. But I think to his point, though, when has it peaked or when will it peak? And staying ahead of that peak is the challenge. Uh, coming up with an affordable solution where it's uh, simple to get the payment spread out, uh, that will be a, a major factor, key role playing for not only the, the trendy type of millennial type of situation, but also for uh, different generational and also different uh, economical, social uh, situations, uh, say, veterans, homeless, maybe something like that, but also folks who are retiring wanting to downsize. So it does appeal to a large, varying uh, degree of folks. Are your customers all cash buyers? I wish. (laughs) (laughs) 
So, so you no, finance them? Close. You finance them, or, or do some of the banks manage? It is. We, we do. We offer several different types of financing, uh, and the banks are definitely starting to warm up to the idea of the house being on wheels. Uh, so. Not only do we help them with the financing, we try to help them with the placement, uh, where are you going to park it, how is it going to be hooked up. Uh, so we have a technical support department and as well as uh, different finance uh, participants that we can work with. So the different partners uh, will have something coming up online uh, next year in 2017 where you can do that right from our shopping cart. How many people... <clears throat> How many of your customers have actually bought a tiny house as opposed to all the other structures that you buy? What percentage of your customers are tiny house buyers? You know, I've received this question in the past. It's it's pretty high number. Uh, it's almost half. Now, but when you call it a tiny house, it's not what you might conjure up in your image of a mind there with a house on wheels. It might just be a shell that over time, as time and money and effort allow, they'll go ahead and finish the interior. Now we sell quite a bit of those where it's just the shell. Now as we sell the kit, the, the kit can be sold as a shed. It can be used for a lot of different purposes. So we don't know exactly what they're gonna, what their intention is uh, moving down. So one of our questions is, what do you plan on using the building for now and in the future? So we wanna be able to set that building up correctly. And what do you, what do you, coming to what what are you seeing in in terms of the answer to that question what are people using it for i do see a lot of them using it for additional workspace it's much more affordable to be able to put up a separate structure than to say put on an addition to a main house so if if the zoning laws uh, allow then uh, a separate structure a separate dwelling is much more affordable to erect uh, than it would be to say uh, traditional home and expand that uh, putting on an addition cool well dominic thank you so much for being on the show today we uh yes learned a lot once again as we always do here on the tiny house podcast and uh hope you enjoyed yourself um and we who are we talking with next week tentatively jess and dan sullivan sullivan <laughs> that is not how you spelled it, but okay. Apparently, I can't spell or schedule this yeah. thing. <laughs> um, they thank they you. are a charming couple. Yeah, again, I met them also at the at the Tiny House Summer Camp. They were speakers there. Uh, I just got to, again, as usual, I give the speech. I got to cross my T and dot my I and and uh, get everybody up, on, everybody up on the schedule. So that should be fun. Um, and also, Mark, do we have a call to action today? We do to our listeners. Would you please go on to <laughs> iTunes is that? and uh, look up Tiny House Podcast and go give a write-up. You can give us one star. You can give us five stars. But more importantly, tell us what you're thinking of the show. Yeah. And we're going to read them on air. On the air. You can give Mark one star, but you have to give me five. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's just a general rule. It balances out to Perry. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Have a great Tiny House week, and we'll talk to you next week. See ya. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Tiny House Podcast. To find us online, go to tinyhousepodcast.com, where you will also find our show notes, if we remember to put them there. Our logo was designed by the amazing Carolyn Maine. Our website is hosted by the gang at Sitecast. Our theme music is by Oma Studio. Please go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating, or whatever. 
you tiny house loving bastard. Tiny House Podcast is probably made in Portland, Oregon. 